0: This is a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne, truly independent community radio. Hello, welcome to Plato's Cave. My name is Alex Helen Nicholas. I am joined tonight by Cerise Howard and Emma Westwood. Hello. Who are you? We don't know you. I'm back. Hi, Cerise. Hi, Alex. Nice to see everybody. Joining Cerise, Emma and myself tonight in the cave in the absence of our illustrious leader, Thomas Caldwell. We are here with the lovely Carl Chapman behind the desk and of course, as usual, by the indispensable Faith Everett, mistress of the podcast, who looks after those of you not able to tune into this here live broadcast, which kind of doesn't make sense if you're listening to the podcast (laughs) because it won't be a live broadcast. We're already playing with your minds. (laughs) Oh, it's going to be one of these kind of trippy shows. I can just feel it. (laughs) Tonight we look at... The changes in the lives of women and girls Across three very different films We look at Anne Fontaine's The Innocents Kitty Green's documentary Casting Jean Benet And first up, Mia Hansen loves Things to Come So I guess before this Dissolves into a 20 minute love-in For Things to Come star Isabelle Huppert Or Huppert As I've been debating <laughs> her name should be pronounced If like me you come from the western suburbs Huppert, Huppert, you tell me A few other things about the film By means of introduction Winning Hansen love the silver bear for best director at the Berlin Film Festival last year. Huppert. See, it just sounds wrong, doesn't it? Huppert. (laughs) Huppert. Choose your own adventure, people. Choose your Huppert, you Huppert. I'm going to say this every time I mention her name. Huppert stars as Natalie, a philosophy academic whose life is changed dramatically when she deals with a whole range of the kind of garbage life can sometimes randomly throw at us. In her case, dealing with the unexpected collapse of her marriage a kind of dissolving career and the complexities of her high-maintenance-demanding mother, Yvette, played by legendary French actor Edith Scobb, who many of us know from George Franju's canonical 1960 film Eyes Without a Face. I mention this because aside from watching Edith Scob on screen, I don't know if there is a greater joy than just saying the name Edith Scobb. I just love it. Being pierced on her cheekbones. Oh, God bless. God. <laughs> They're sharp. It's getting... <laughs> I'm <laughs> um, home to Edith Scob. Anyway, back to the film. How Natalie works her way through all of these lies at the heart of things to come. What did we make of this? Or should we just cut to the chase and talk about how much we love Isabel Oupel?
1: We love her. What about you? Yeah, I like you, you over there, <laughs> Cerise. Yeah. He then he then
0: I feel ganged up upon
2: already, and I think that's because I let slip that I was underwhelmed by this yeah. film before I'm, coming on air. I
0: am generally massively underwhelmed by Mia Hansen Love. I've mm. missed that train.
2: Well, I haven't seen those other films of hers anyway. What's what does her reputation rest upon? It was uh, there's the, Eden something the techno
0: one, as I yeah, like to call that it. That one, yeah.
1: And. Uh, uh, I-
0: Other films,
1: yeah. Other films. Uh, She was an actress first, though, so you
0: know she's never, never, (laughs) never pinged my radar. Interestingly enough, I think this is also (laughs) the first year that um, Oliver Assayas has made a film that I don't hate either. Mm. Personal shopper, and maybe maybe they just needed to get married to make films that I don't hate. Exactly.
1: This Um, is the first um, Mia Hansen Young film that I have seen. And it actually made me want to see the other films that now I'm thinking I probably shouldn't see. But um, no, I, I was I was surprised by this in
2: an underwhelming way. Or, or, <laughs> or...
1: <laughs> no, no, I found um, the I, I was absolutely engrossed, and it was a film that I didn't think would usually engross me. So this is the I think as Alex started in on this discussion, a uh, love in for Isabel Huppert because if it wasn't Isabel. Who pair in this Huppet in this film? Would we have felt the same way? This is the big question. i did I was really engaged with this film, and I did really like it, and I did go on its little journey,
0: but i I really have to wonder that if it wasn't this performer in that role, would I have had the same reaction? Cerise is already getting tetchy. Well, I I've
2: <laughs> binge watched uh, her films earlier this year. There was a lovely retrospective organised yes. by the mm. Melbourne Cinematech mm. where we had films going back to her earliest days on Lulu. screen. Yeah, The Lulu. wonderful Lulu. Lulu. <laughs> <laughs> and um, uh, The Lacemaker oh. and a number of more recent films too, including that great Chabrol film, The, the Story Chibrol of Women. Is amazing. That is magnificent. And she is astonishing. And we get, um, and Elle, we, we reviewed on the show in recent times. In which she didn't get upstaged by a cat, but I think she did in this film. <laughs> I, I really felt it's Pound not even about <laughs> This film is—it's uh, it called sort of Things to Come." It could have been called really not all that much uh, ado about some stuff that should actually be quite significant. But it really none of it resonated with me. Some stuff comes up in her life, and it's not exactly that—just washes off her. But it just seems so so little of an impediment to a happy bourgeois life that she enjoys, with or without her utterly uninteresting husband who lets her know fairly early on in the film after the most minimal prompting from their daughter that maybe he ought to just come clean about an affair he's having. And really, with every little narrative development in this film, I just sank further into feeling just gently underwhelmed. I didn't hate the film, I just felt utterly indifferent to it. It just uh, meanders along and come its close, I just thought. Hmm.
0: It is very, ah, uh, isn't it? It's very. very uh, hmm. Almost pleasantly,
1: ah. Uh, yeah, I, I
0: really like the, the story, yeah. uh, the plot line that followed her relationship with a young male student. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's very bougie. I think that's exactly the word for it. Although Desperately bougie. It's, it's pretty, I mean, oh even God, for, yeah. even for French Whoa. cinema, this is turbo bougie. I think it's bougie? actually... um <laughs> let's go that. <laughs> bougie.
1: <laughs> bougie. Um, I think that uh, Mia Hanson young uh, Young. Why did I say that? But love. It's, lo- it's love with a line through it. Do you know what? That's, that's, that's a senator. <laughs> so, Whoops, so that's scandial. a green senator that, that I amazing. just said. but would be amazing. Sarah Hansen-Young's
0: Sarah Sarah Hansen <laughs> Hansen Things to Come. <laughs> Whoops.
1: <laughs> I wonder what is to come. Wow, that's... Um, but, uh, yeah, now I've completely thrown myself off. Oh, it was – she wrote it uh, based on her own mother. Her mother was a, a philosopher, so um, no doubt it has some biographical meaning to it. Not that that gives it any greater weight, but for some reason I was – See I, w- I enjoyed this Thomas and I covered certain women last week and I enjoyed this much more than certain women but oh, maybe that's because yeah yeah exactly cuz in some ways you could kind of compare the two films but I think maybe it is also um, pair and uh, the singular storyline rather than being broken mm. up into the three and then um, also the Parisian setting and being able to wander through parks in Paris for an hour and a half seems to, I don't know, it, it, it actually was enjoyable. But also I like that kind of suspension throughout the film of um, the things to come or the things that you expect to come that don't, like the dramatic advi- devices that don't happen. Because the things actually occur in this film but they happen in and they're big events but they don't have the same dramatic resident resonance that another in in the way that another film would treat them if you know what i mean yeah
0: no i think it's a very it's a very elegant way of saying shit happens this film yes exactly um i i mean i i really you know we're talking about but um, Edith Scob for me—I I just can't. She I can't underplay is, how much I love watching she that woman on screen.
1: She is mesmerizing. She was also in absolutely um, mesmerizing Holi characters, holy motors, yes. and I think she just she
0: stole was that bloody too. film. You're right. Um, she's extraordinary, oh God, yes. in that, and he, of course, plays with the mask motif from um, I Eyes Without about a face. face. I think she's—I mean, she's really one of the great French movie stars, and just seeing her. Explode in this wonderfully neurotic role. Um, neurotic in this role film was just a joy. So walk
1: around in you know, her lovely um, silk satin nightie and look like a supermodel mm-hmm. still. As an advanced senior woman, she's just um, she's got such presence. The it, same as Huppet. It's
0: it's a it's a <laughs> random filter compare it to, and they're not comparable in any other way. But um, Clara Calme, um, the great Italian actress who, uh, when she's in Deep Red, she has a similar role in that she's sort of this this well-known film star um, that everybody knows, you know, this national cinema icon in, in later in her life, playing a character who's kind of deranged by the fact that she was once famous, surrounded yes. by photographs of herself when she yes, was younger and exactly. famous. And I, I'm not saying that Deep Red and things to come have anything else <laughs> in common, let me just... See how I brought Argento into this? Yeah, studio. yeah, very See how I sneaky. Really that was great. We got Franchu. It's all about horror all the time, even <laughs> <laughs> even in the bougie French
1: oh, films. I did find that with this film as well. There was something I had it actually with both a couple of films uh, uh, that we're speaking about to, today. But um, the end I found particularly touching. In fact, I found the end of the film um, probably one of the most satisfying ends that I've come across in cinema in recent times. So. I, in some ways, it was probably the highlight for me in a different way to Cerise, maybe. <laughs> well, without
2: spoiling it for anyone, just remind me how it ended because
1: I've totally forgotten. Can you remember the version of Unchained Melody playing? Mm, no, nah, it's gone. See, <laughs> no, it didn't really didn't register. In the apartment, yeah. Uh, see, I thought it was incredibly touching and really beautiful. Uh, and yeah, sort
2: of coming back. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> sort of. <laughs> Cerise, so, What did you? I mean, we're kind of revisiting last week, but you and I
0: went here. What did you make of certain women? I didn't and, see it. Um, no. oh, you haven't no, seen I haven't seen women. it yet. Because no. I think it's a really interesting, you know, "quote unquote" women's stories. Mm. You know, it's it's. But I interesting. like her films
2: as a rule. Um yeah. Kelly Reichardt. Mm-hmm. Mm. Um, but no, I've got nothing there.
1: Nothing. <laughs> nothing <laughs> to give you. Ba ba. Um, the interesting thing th- with this film, I think, probably one of the most uh, the surprising little narrative additions was that strange interlude with a stranger at the cinema.
0: And what was the Did film you, there? It, it was, was um, a Star-y Star-y. It was Star-y. 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 copy. It was, and I know that yeah. I I only saw that film recently, and there's something oh, I've got to rejog my memory because it's actually been a while since I've seen things to come. But there was something about that scene that reminded me of Certified Copy, something about the relationship. I think there was a similar... There was like um, a conscious play between yes, the film exactly. that, that they were seeing and something and about that. And what the, occurred. Yeah. And what
1: occurred. And I thought, where is this... Go- another another case of uh, things that could have happened that didn't happen in this film. I thought, okay, this is going to a menacing place. Well, not exactly. And And even the fact that she didn't seemed to be threatened Mm. in that situation was really interesting as well. It's a really interesting
0: thing to think, you know, especially French cinema made by women. When I think of cinema that deals with, you know, the cinema of ellipses, you know, cinema that deals with these sort of gaps and um, these, you know, the spaces in between, you know, things that could happen, things that couldn't happen, that don't Mm. happen. Um, I always think of the, uh, I think her name's Yvette Margolis, wrote this incredible book about Chantal Ackerman, another uh, French woman, Belgian woman director, my apologies um, and it's called Nothing Happens and it's all about these gaps and these ellipses and these sort of little lines, you know, little narrative journeys that, that sort of begin but never, that kind of, they don't even falter, they just sort of trail off and I, I it's a kind of curious, I love this idea of like, yeah, the cinema of gaps or the cinema of ellipses.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um,
0: that kind of overlap, I think, is really interesting. That that not everything needs to be not even resolved in a narrative sense, but that kind of meandering, you know, things can just sort of wander. And- yeah,
2: I think that for that's that's it though. For this film, which has so much discussion in it about philosophical matters, especially out on this extremely lay anarchist commune in the in the beautiful <laughs> picturesque countryside <laughs> sort of retreat, uh, the, the film to me had no philosophical weight. Really, whatsoever. Um, that just
0: yeah. reminded me of really boring undergraduate parties. Oh God, it was like, <laughs>
2: awful.
1: Like
0: when um, people start talking about Žižek, I get dozed. Yeah. Like uh, I just sort of yes. nod off. It's uh, like I can't. I cannot. I, <laughs> I can't have another conversation about Z- about Žižek. Or about authorship. Think, yeah. Do we
2: want to discuss yeah. authorship quickly yeah. <laughs> and the whole conundrum about whether it's something we even ought? I mean, wow. Well, as critics, we're always we're always having to grapple with this uh, cinema. The canon of filmmakers is very much an mm-hmm. auteur-based auteur um, conception, uh, structure. And, um, oh God, I actually don't want to do this because I found it so boring in the film. I don't <laughs> want to revive that boredom for myself and line everyone else. But there is an incredibly tedious scene where they debate whether as an anarchist collective they ought to have any authorial presence, then if they deny themselves that, is that in fact just bringing too much attention to that? And and they do
1: it in many languages as well. And they do (laughs) do
2: it in many languages and it's just rubbish.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, controversy about the Huppert film.
1: (laughs) Look, I did really enjoy it. Like I said, it was was quite a surprise to me because... um, it, it, it just, I, I, it's a type of film where I would usually get bored, I'm but just, I didn't. I'm thinking exa- didn't. it's so
0: funny because I'm sitting here. I actually don't disagree with one single thing that Saris said. Um, um, yeah, but I, I'm I thought the same. it was fine. I thought this was a perfectly fine film. It's not my film of the year, but I found it thoroughly enjoyable. I think the big question for me though is if it was anybody but Pair... Yeah. Mm. I, I possibly might have just flatlined. Well, there's
2: so little else. To, I mean, actually, there yeah. should be a lot else there to hang a film onto because a lot happens. It's just of no consequence yeah. somehow. Mm. It just—it's just so uh, weightless. Uh, yeah, very few performers could hold attention like she can, but I still wasn't terribly uh, impressed.
0: Let's let's <laughs> let it go. Things to let come it go. has gone. <laughs> You are listening to a podcast from Community Radio 3RRR-FM in Melbourne, Australia. There's a lot of films to talk about when we say our goodbyes to Jonathan Demme, who passed away sadly this week at the age of 73 years old from esophageal cancer and heart disease. Probably most famous, I think, for Silence of the Lambs. Mm. And um, Philadelphia But of course he did Stop Making Sense The extraordinary Talking Heads film Married to the Mob And I, I actually have to say I think Something Wild is probably my favourite Demi film That's um, probably it's, my it's, favourite too it's left, out the, it's left out of the canon But that's one of my favourite 80s films it's, it's the perfect 80s yeah. film It's really, it's, it's wild It's just a really fun, funny wild. Gorgeous little movie How do you guys feel about Jonathan Demi? How are you working through this?
2: Uh, I'm saddened Stop Making Sense I saw as recently as, oh, I think it was just last year or So we might even have Reviewed it on the show When it just reappeared um, Was there a restoration Somehow it came In circulation again I loved that It's, it's a so It's the most extraordinary Concert mm, film
0: It really is one of the great Music films, yeah. one of the great live music performance films, I think, without I, any exaggeration. Am
2: I right in thinking that he began under Roger Corman's stewardship somehow and I did a woman some, in prison can, film or yeah, two cage, early on? he did, he cage, did caged, caged Heat. heat. Yeah.
0: The brilliant Caged Heat, yeah. by the way. Just shout out for <laughs> Caged Heat there. Um, and Carl and I were talking before, he did some music videos. He did The Perfect Kids by New Order. Um Ah. The brilliant, brilliant film clip, brilliant song. I was almost going to play that, but X will always win. And I <laughs> thought that that was a nice way to say that. I think
1: he was he was uh, meant to be a righteous dude as well. So that's the sad thing I've heard that too. from quite yeah, a few people
0: who, you know, people working guy. in video shops and things who just kind of came across him. It's all kind of come up in conversation there's um you know, yeah, he was a nice man, which is not necessary with a good filmmaker, but it is kind of reassuring when it does happen. So Jonathan Demi, we salute you. Let's keep moving. Let's keep moving. The Innocence. We are going to talk about the new film from French actor and director Anne Fontaine, who's probably most well known for her films Coco After Chanel and her kind of wobbly Doris Lessing adaptation set in Australia Adore from a few years ago with Robin right pen i think her name is and naomi watts did you ever see that i think she's
1: dropped the pen now oh, mm. oh yeah well
0: wouldn't we all <laughs> uh it's a bit wobbly adore but that's all right coco after chanel and fontaine we're at home to all this stuff anyway the innocence is an award-winning film that was inspired by the quite extraordinary experience of the aunt uh of an actor and producer called philip uh, maniel who was a doctor uh, his aunt was a doctor with the red cross in poland just at the end of world war Two. The film follows French doctor Matilda, played by Lou DeLague, who works for the French Red Cross and finds herself based in Poland in late 1945. Surrendering to the desperate pleas of a nun from a local convent, she finds herself an unexpected midwife, discovering many of the nuns are with child after repeated sexual assaults from Soviet soldiers. This, as you may deduce, is a gruelling film... But the movie, in large part, is driven by the relationships by the young doctor and the women she gets to know behind convent walls. Cerise, that's a little Baroque reference a little for you. there, <laughs> isn't there? Behind
2: oh, convent walls. That's a much walls. sexier film. That should go no. without saying. I think. I know. It, I know. I, I just I couldn't let it. <laughs>
0: I mean, it's fairly fair to say, I guess, that this film is set in a pretty tumultuous period in Polish history. Now, directed, edited and filmed by women, the film also has a predominantly female cast and three out of its four writers are women also. So I'm certainly not going to suggest that this results in any kind of essentialist quote-unquote woman's film, but I certainly get the feeling that if those roles were filled by men this might be a very very different kind of movie more importantly however my learned colleagues i would like to ask of you how evil does a mother superior have to be before a film becomes a non-sploitation film
2: she's pretty n- is this, nasty i mean it,
0: it sounds a bit rough to call this non exploitation, but this is a pretty bloody evil mother superior she
1: is but she's just you know she's she's been abused it's a gata
0: of Koo- cerise, oh, so i'm not even going to this is the Eastern European names. Agata Kules- Kulesa Kulesha. from um, Ida. She played Wanda in Ida. She was wonderful. She and was she's wonderful.
1: And she's um, actually strangely unrecognisable in this film. She I only realised it afterwards. Yeah, looking her up, yeah. I had no idea that it was her. She looks a lot older. They a aged lot really, older. Really and uh, very downy face. You know, like very kind of jowly. Oh, I thought you meant like, like Robert
0: Downey Jr. It's like, what are you
1: talking no, about? No, that's no, no, like, like you know, dropped face. Yeah, yeah. no, you, you I'm know. with you now. I'm yes, with you, you now. get that. Yeah, yeah, not Robert Downey Jr. Well, that would, would be, be odd weird. Odd yeah. to random. have him as Why the mother would you bring that up? Superior,
2: not on the run. Anyone?
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> what did you guys make of the Innocents?
2: Oh, well, oh. I, I, uh, it's quite good. Yeah, I, I'm interested Powerful in this. Powerful
0: criticism yeah, on Plato's
2: to now. A few weeks ago we did a, um, we covered a, a Danish film called uh, Land of Mine in its oh, yes. hastily renamed uh, Australian release, just to throw a pun in there somewhere. I think it was Under the Sands anywhere else. Uh, uh, then we commented, oh, fancy there still being World War II stories that we don't know uh, all too well and and shed some different light on, on um, especially the, the aftermath." And and present uh, people who were not necessarily supposed to be the baddies in in um, World War Two in a, a light that is not necessarily very flattering. Land of mine, we we see the Danes did not necessarily treat the prisoners of war terribly nicely afterwards. Uh, in this, we see that the the French uh, Red Cross, these are supposed to be do-gooders, and yet they have a pretty dim view of the Poles. And uh, there's, there's all these interesting little tensions that infiltrate the 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 fabric of the story here. It's not just about the nuns but this, this whole business of whether the Red Cross even kind of want to be there and, and these these do-gooders, uh, are there some people who deserve their treatment more than others? Uh, are nuns deserving of uh, goodness? That seems such an odd question. But this whole mess of ideologies that are, are at war in uh, in this post-World War II film are, are quite interesting. And, and this lead actress, her, her character... Um, who does good by the nuns and is keen to help see that their children are born um, and that the nuns are treated well, as, as resistant as they are to her or anyone else's touch. Um, she has her own faith issues, but it's barely explored. But she, we learn that she's a member of the Communist Party and that is uh, and not really um, given much depth to well, but we understand it's mm. a matter of faith for her, that she believes that that might be a better way in future, which is interesting given when this film is uh, set and when it... Um, yeah, you know, 1945, Poland. Anywho, um, I, I thought this was pretty strong. I was in, really engrossed, engrossed in this. I felt for all of the the women. I am um, horrified by the implications of of their their pregnancies, and um, by my understanding, this is based on real events. And. Uh, you know, I didn't actually find it really harrowing. There's quite a lot of hope in this film, but there's certainly a lot of wintry uh, unpleasantness. But then also the film is so well shot that it, it, it in it? a way mm. almost works against the horrors that underpin the narrative because it's mm. just so well lit mm. and all of the exteriors look so beautiful. Um, it's very snowy. Yeah. Snowy And film. actually many of the nuns are gorgeous. supermodel. So I'm just yeah. going, what's what's that necessary? Um <laughs> Matilda yeah.
0: herself is quite bee stung too. Mm. I was every yes. time she was she was. I mean, she put in a great performance, but I I I, n- I never think of that phrase. But every time she was on screen, it's like, oh, she's bee stung, isn't <laughs> she? You don't see bee stung people much anymore. She's a nice bee stung doctor.
1: You reckon? I think there's more bee stung people since uh, botox oh. and everything has been around. But <laughs> Maybe anyway, yeah. You know. <laughs> but um, um, yeah, I I thought for me. Um, it had that sense. The whole film was penetrated. <laughs> Use the wrong words by a sense of rapiness. You know, mm. it's about to at a any violation. moment, and yep. they made that and that they they kind of obviously what the the nuns went through. But then they made a point of showing how that was just part of the the whole occupation, the Soviet occupation at that time. Um, but um, I think that what was really interesting, it reminds me of watching um, the Australian series when I was a kid, Brides, Brides of Christ. Brides of Christ. Can you remember wow. that? was that yeah. Naomi Watts as yes. well? Yeah. Oh, was that na- yes, it was. Was it? Yes, Gosh, it was. What, and was um, Kim, friend of Michael Hutchins what was her name? Kim oh, Wilson? I know, Wilson. Kim Wilson. Yeah. Kim Wilson. Yeah, I think it was. Gosh, Wilson? that was massive. Is that right? Mm. Anyway, that at the time, I remember the the there was that uh, changing of the habit for the nuns, literally changing of their uh, their clothing to a different type of habit and how they went through or some of the nuns went through this really difficult time because um, all of a sudden their necks were exposed and this idea of um, the chastity of the body and the protection of the body. And that was kind of taken – That I felt that that was – the predominant theme that came out in this film because the women were, I mean, as nuns, they could pretend that they weren't pregnant because they could hide behind these habits. And what they were hiding and this distress, this extreme distress of having to show their bodies even to save a child uh, and... And innocent, as the 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 innocence being in this film, obviously twofold: the children and the nuns. But this um, idea that they w- they. C- they would be willing to, their vows were more important than actually saving a human life, which is very paradoxical. There was a lot of that sort of paradox going along I in really, this film. Yeah, I really liked a lot of that discourse just about
0: faith and obedience and, and what those things, like the kind of nuts and bolts mechanics of what that went. There's a great quote, and I'm I may, I'm just paraphrasing this, but... One of the nuns says something like, "Faith is is twenty four hours of chaos and one moment of hope." Yeah, where yeah. they're trying to explain to the doctor why they do the things that they do, mm-hmm. and it's it was the micro details of this film that really um really had an impact on me. I very much appreciated the. The focus on these very sort of detailed experiences and differing differing experiences of all of these different women, including the doctor herself, as they sort of negotiate this this just obscene, horrific, Situation, mm. um, and I, you know, I jokingly brought up non exploitation before because we're talking about a nun movie. There's no way I'm going to let nun exploitation slide. <laughs> but it is this, you know, it is such this this huge metaphor, you know, the the convent, you know, these walls that can't be broken, mm. you know, um, faith that can't be broken, you know, that that you know, you, I mean, un, you know, unpenetrable. Mm. And when you bring um, the the shock, you know, the horrendous sexual violence that these women experienced um, on numerous occasions. Um, it, it It really brings all of that stuff into play um and I think i 've done a lot of um i 've written a couple of books about the representation of rape in film, and I always find it really fascinating it's it 's a subject i think for much debate and discussion there 's always this tension between what 's showing too much and what 's what 's showing yeah. not enough in that if mm-hmm. you don 't if you don 't give a real indication of the horror then you 're kind of underplaying that you're underplaying the trauma but at the same time if you go too far are you exploiting it and it's such a difficult line and I think very few films ever have really got it right Mm. and um and it is I think whenever I watch a film that's about a subject like this it's like okay so how are you going to tackle that question what are you going to show what are you not going to show how are you going to communicate the intensity without falling into an exploitation territory and I think Fontaine does it very shrewdly there's a real The the trauma here is very strongly communicated in ways that aren't graphic. And I think that's a very difficult thing to do, both ideologically and also stylistically, just as a filmmaker in terms of mise en scène. And, you know, what do you actually put in the frame? To communicate mm. that, how do you get people to perform? There's a huge amount going on with body language in this film. Like you were saying, Emma, the the the, um, the habits are so big. There were pregnant nuns that you didn't realise were pregnant until babies dropped out, you know? I mean, and, and quite literally, it was babies like the just meaning dropped of out. life. Yeah, like it
2: just. Well, there was even one pregnant nun who didn't realise she was pregnant.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, yeah. Imagine that level of naivety. Um, though then, s- such stories are reported occasionally in the papers, even today, mm-hmm. usually a bit sensationally. Yeah, this, this could have been, in the hands of, let's say, an uh, unscrupulous producer in the 70s, actually, a non exploitation oh, film. Because you would have thrown in a bit of nazi exploitation as well, and it would all have been extremely Joe D'Alessandro would
1: cruise yeah, in. Yeah, you know. I'd be interested to see what it would be handled by someone else. Like, I found that in a lot of, I guess a lot of the cinema I've been watching at the moment, and that we've been lucky enough to cover for this show, have been quite, played a lot with cinema form or uh different ways of storytelling even things to come uh, which we've just <laughs> spoken about let uh, it go Emma. let it go uh but this uh, this film while i really enjoyed it i didn't feel that there was anything totally remarkable about it it was just okay i've just i really solid, solid yeah it's a, a s- really solid solid film. solid yep. is a
0: word yep. it does it, it does what it's set out to do mm. and i'm glad it was made and i'm glad i saw it mm. um the end, like that, that's that's my feelings about well, that's it.
2: it. It gets to the end and you go, oh, it mm-hmm. resolved uh, everything, and this was narratively satisfying. It was conventional but satisfying. There was yeah.
0: a moment at the end where I thought it was going to opt for a kind of polyamorism. It's like, oh, and everything's fine now. It's like my yes. memory of Polish history. I really wasn't thought you quite-
2: had said polyamorism there for me. Like, what, what film did be- you just see? The <laughs> I can't end let go instead? of the Barofsky. Yeah. I just
0: can't let it go. Yeah. Um, you I know, could this, see what you sort of happily mean ever there? after, yeah. and, and I think it consciously tries it, and it's like actually it was a bit it,
1: springtime
0: yeah there is a little it almost feels like it was put in as an after, afterthought and yeah. that it was like oh, actually things weren't that great in oh. this part of the world for
1: quite a bit of time but but these guys were all right you know it,
0: it's a bit of a weird ending the I- thing
1: is though that ending though I felt kind of strangely emotional with that ending and then I realized it was because of that music and the music was from Arrival Really? Yes. That's strange. If you listen to it, it, as in, I don't think it was a track that was actually You don't specific. mean Abba's arrival, do you? No. <laughs> Just checking. No. out It wasn't really Waterloo strange. or <laughs> something like that. When but I knowing kissed me, no know that would yeah. have been great. Yeah. Um, no, it was... Um, I don't think a piece that was actually written for the soundtrack of Arrival but one that was appropriated, I should look it up, but I actually hit on it and I think it was that emotion because it was used in very emotional parts of Arrival which was a really uh, effectively emotional film and I felt this recall of you know, emotion coming back, which is, I guess, this is why people reuse uh, movie soundtracks.
2: Also, yeah. they're in the public domain, some of them. So um, they can, Certain
1: yes. classical yeah. pieces, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, but not Spirit in the Sky. <laughs> I like The
0: Innocents. I did too. Emma? I thought it was good. Right, we're done. Let's keep moving.
2: <laughs> Three, triple, R. Oh.
0: To finish up, we turn our attention to the extraordinary and almost suffocatingly tragic story of John Bernay Ramsey, the six-year-old junior beauty pageant regular from Boulder, Colorado, whose murdered body was found after a seemingly botched kidnapping attempt went haywire in nothing less than a frankly bewildering set of circumstances on Christmas Eve in 1996. The crime, still unsolved, was one of the most iconic events of late 20th century century American history and the 20-year anniversary last year led to a glut of sensational, gratuitous and pretty bloody tabloid coverage from the bulk of the mainstream US media. Australian filmmaker Kitty Green is a VCA alumni and whose previous feature-length doco, Ukraine Is Not a Brothel, played at MIF in 2014. And casting John Bernay caused quite a stir at Sundance this year. Revisiting the conceptual approach of her 2015 short doco The Face of Ukraine casting Oksana Beul, instead of opting for the tried and true documentary patchwork of archive footage and interviews with key figures from the case, Green instead builds her documentary around a series of in-depth interviews with a group of aspiring actors from Boulder, the town where John Bernay lived and died, all hoping to be cast in the reenactment segments of Green's documentary. What results tells us less about the case itself? And with its conspiracies, confessions, and often very frank and disturbing discussions of each participant's own experiences of violence, abuse, and death in their own lives, tells us something much bigger about the kinds of mythologies that we build around stories like this and explores why we might become so invested in sensational crimes like the murder of John Bernay Ramsey. Obviously, there's some pretty heavy stuff going on um, in this film. How did we go with casting John Bernay, guys?
2: I, well, I had to have a, a few thoughts. Um, I mean, I, I'll start off by saying that I actually loved her previous feature, Ukraine is not me a brothel. Me too. Or, that blew so me away. I, mm-hmm. It's about Femin, yeah. um, the
0: documentary and, on feminism. And it serves
2: as something of an expose of a sort of Svengali-esque figure, mm. um, not sort of person you'd remotely expect to be operating um, a supposedly feminist activist group as, as Femin is. Um, and uh, so similarly here, she's... she's working with the construction of um, a mythologised um, people, an event and place. Um, so rather than Ukraine and, and increasingly Europe being uh, menaced by topless women uh, protesting against all manner of evils, uh, here just trying to get to... I mean, she's really not interested in investigating this case because, I mean, it seems utterly unsolvable. But just going through the, the motions of... Um, Actually, to be totally honest, I'm not entirely sure what she was setting out to achieve, but she's still clearly very interested in the whole business of generating a mythology and interrogating it and um, uh, and, and, and so doing, using a whole lot of devices which, to me, were very familiar from a whole range of other films. I, I know – I'm sure this one came up for you, Alex. Uh, Kate, Kate Plays, plays Christine, Christine, which yeah, we absolutely.
0: talked about yeah. uh, last year, which screened th-
2: at MIF last I year. I think that's
0: one of its closest ancestors.
2: Yeah, where, again, a, a famous event um, – uh, which around which a certain amount of mystery still surrounds but some things are quite indisputable. Like We know a woman shot herself live to air uh, in that particular case um, and there there's a performer trying to come to terms with how to portray that and how to do it justice and how to do it ethically and then I, I think the film, that one takes a few liberties with that idea ultimately but maybe you can't help but when you start exploring these ideas. This also reminded me a lot of uh, a very... Early couple of Milos Forman films, uh, one that he made before he went to Hollywood, while he was still in native Czechoslovakia, audition, and then a film which took a lot of these this, these audition sequences, which were sort of cinema verite, um, into a Hollywood uh, and taking off. Do you know his early his first Hollywood feature? Taking I've, never off, which I've, is yeah. I've never seen
0: it. I've heard great things about it. I've never seen it.
2: And, and there, there are people auditioning for a role. Um, each of them, and there's this amazing montage sequence there where you go from performer to performer. They're playing one song continuously, but it's just cut from one person attempting it to the next person murdering it to somebody else and all of them trying to put their stamp on it and impress. And much like in this film, uh, all these people actually, we presume they want the role. I don't know, maybe they're all stooges, in fact, and the entire thing is scripted, or maybe they are real. There's, there's a lot there which takes foreman's play with documentary modes of cinema and actual artifice Um, and that seems just really be uh, riddled throughout this film too, which is fascinating but I don't actually know to what end ultimately when we're dealing with something that is seemingly as traumatically imprinted upon the American psyche as the whole business around jean Bernet Ramsey, which even if she hadn't been murdered, I think the whole thing is so utterly bizarre and disturbing because those beauty pageants are seriously fucked That's up. Mm.
0: I, I get a, almost a visceral reaction when I see photographs of that child in those costumes. I find them. There's a moment in the documentary where I think one of the one of the uh, audition subjects is reading from uh, JonBenet Ramsey's mother's autobiography about her pageant stuff and and her relationship to being a pageant queen and and it i i I mean this is a horrendous story what happened to this child is just incomprehensible but that 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 brief discussion of of you know this beautiful little pageant girl and even in the in this kind of very corny and overtly faked bedroom that they mock up for her in the reenactments with her trophies I, i i was like almost passing out with just Horror, like I just revulsion. I just can't. Yeah. It's like
1: a cult. It's like just you know that hope. fascination of a cult too. But also seeing something like the family that uh, documentary that came out earlier this year, and seeing all these children with their strange bleach blonde hairs. Well, it's, it's a similar thing, you know. It's a, a similar presentation, like this mock up. This children somehow. Being created as dolls or something like that, you know, it's not such a human beings. Image. Yeah. But I'm wondering whether this is becoming a thing. This is like a, a new vista of documentary now, which seems to be more um, third-person documentary rather than first-person documentary. Like we mentioned, Kate plays Christine. Um, and that the fact that Kitty Green has also done uh, another documentary in this style, this kind of casting style or looking at something through the eyes of other people, which is kind of assuming... Uh, uh, quite assuming a bit of knowledge, which I think is totally uh, warranted in the case of um, Jean-Benet Ramsey, um, and then really creating t- sort of teasing out the cultural fabric through it. I think that was the idea more than anything to show because a lot of these people, because they were from the local area and auditioning for this. Play. It was a play, wasn't it? No, they're
0: auditioning for the documentary. They're auditioning to be in the reenactments
1: of the in yes, the documentary. And re- in I think that the that's what, okay. that's, what the, right.
0: that's what that All last right. ten minute sequence is. Uh huh. So okay. I think that the people in it knew what it was. I mean, they're literally holding up clapperboards that say "casting Jean Yeah, Benet. yeah, so they're yeah. Not,
1: that's what I. Yeah, yeah I don't think they're being I, exploited or anything like no, that. No, no, that's they're aware of. What's going on? That's what I assumed. I did assume that. But yeah, it was interesting because a lot of them were from the local area and had memories of what had happened what was happening to them or their perception of the event so I think that's probably more I think that's the reason Cerise that was her idea of showing sort of more of a, a cultural expose yeah,
2: I, I don't know I'm a little suspicious of her motives the, the, the film throughout its runtime, casts suspicion upon one person within that whole story and then upon another and then another it does it quite methodically So at first we're talking about the father as being, I think, the father first, then the mother, then the son. and uh,
0: Santa. Don't forget Santa. And Santa. Yeah. Yeah. I mean,
2: I didn't know those sort of details about the whole story, that that suspicion was cast upon this this whole... um,
1: And then the guy who um, confessed. Microcosm, yeah, and all of that. That was only, what, last year or the
0: year before, the guy in Thailand? Was it? I didn't know how long ago it was. Yeah, so I thought
2: it's either... Yeah, it's been very strategically edited in that fashion so that there's something to keep you hanging on as an audience, I suppose, Mm. that you're going, oh, but wait, what if now it was such and such? And then we get some testimonies from some of these people auditioning about what they knew about that person. And in fact, maybe they thought it was that person who committed this atrocious crime. And I thought that that's quite, well, it's manipulative. But then... Well, what's what's filmmaking? Yeah. If not yeah the,
0: the critical responses to this film have been quite interesting. There's actually been a lot of really positive thoughtful writing. there There's a review in The New Yorker that was pretty scathing, and it calls this film the jackass of reflexive documentary filmmaking. Oh, really and just hammers it for this idea of being exploitative. I'm very I come from a really different angle. i I love this film. Um I think to start with, I was with you guys. where i uh, where where you are serious, where I really turned was when people started started talking about, their own experiences. Um, You know, there's a guy who talks about his partner waking up and discovering his partner's dead body. You know, she dies in her sleep. When people start connecting this broader mythology to their own lived experience outside of the case itself, you know, Mm. people remembering abuse as children, um, it reminds me a lot um, just how those sort of experiences Relate to this kind of yeah, this kind of broader mythology, and and not just about John Benet Ramsey, but obviously Madeleine McCann mm. is a big one. The desperate knowledge, you know, this this sense of authority that so many of the of the people in this film give about I know what really happened, and you got Did that, that annoy you? No, I thought it was extraordinary. Yeah, it's like, I, what that, is that's that? What Where I liked. is that urgent yeah. sense of authority coming from? What why do we need to believe? And I remember I was very very young at the time, and it's a very different case. But even Azaria Chamberlain, I remember you know older relatives in my family, this kind of author. conspiratorial knowledge that people kind of take and attach their own experience Mm. to. People become really invested. Um, And I think, yeah, that that had a really powerful effect on me, not just about JonBenet Ramsey, but about this kind of the way that we're drawn to these stories. I love love the last 10 minutes, the way that it kind of brings in all of these different... I I didn't know where it was going with these different auditions. It's like, do you end up choosing one person to play each role? And I'm not going to give away what happens, but I just think it's a beautiful piece of filmmaking. I think it's really intelligent and really emotionally powerful. I think what she does at the end, and it's like this is about all of us. It this made, is about us. It, this is about all of the people in this town. It made all of sense. All the people
1: watching the film. Yeah, yeah, it made sense where she went. Where yeah. she went with it. The same with um, Kate plays Christine, and similar sort of you know. And we talked Which also about had that accusations
0: at the time. of um, exploitation. That you know, poor Caitlin Shields was being exploited. The idea of anybody exploiting Caitlin Shields blows my mind. I don't <laughs> think that she. Really, be at home to that idea herself, but yeah, like I think that this kind of hyper, when you attach this kind of hyperactive, reflexive mode to these really potent stories, yeah, um, you start. I mean, even you know, talking about just reflexive documentary, so much of this film, I thought, was riffing on you know the the master of the art, um, Errol Morris. You know, yeah, that kind yeah of, the
2: Interatron. Go,
0: yeah, going back <laughs> to um, of the even even the way that he would manipulate the you know the classic thin blue line, the way that he would re- stage and restage and rejig and alter. his his uh, what are they called I've gone blank on the word reenactments the reenactments in that film the reenactments in that documentary change according to the person who's telling the story yeah. so I think she's very conscious of that history and she's really playing with it the degree to that
1: to which that satisfies the viewer, I think, is quite subjective. I, I actually talked to someone about this who um, just happened to say that they saw it, came up new on Netflix and wanted to have a look at it and um, hated it, absolutely hated it and said, I saw it, got excited because I love reading everything in the sense, you know, the crazy tabloid stuff around the JonBenet yeah, Ramsey this is not case. film. No. And uh, she said that I wanted either a full dramatisation or I wanted the doco on Jean-Benoit Ramsey. So... This is neither yeah, of those <laughs> things. Exactly. Uh,
2: no, um, we're running out of time, I think. But, um, <laughs> yeah, I, 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 have, I have some issues with the, the film, but um, I... I I was also just so conscious of all of the documentary devices employed, including Errol Morris esque, not just reenactments, but making sure people stared straight down the barrel of the camera. Yeah, that Interrotron
0: vibe is very mm. strong.
2: Yeah. Um, it's an interesting piece of filmmaking. It certainly got, gives uh, plenty to chew over. Um, so, yeah, I'll look, it's on Netflix. How long do things stay on Netflix for? I, I don't, don't watch know. Netflix. know. So, so. Forever.
0: Casting <laughs> <laughs> Jean Benet is on Netflix. The Innocence is on limited release through Rialto Distribution and Things to Come is on limited release through Palace Films. That is the show for tonight. Join us next week when we'll look at one of my films of the year. I might not be alone with this. That's get. a spoiler.
1: Spoiler warning.
0: <laughs> uh, get out. Oh, no, maybe I'll end up hating it in the next week. I'm a complicated woman. Um, and we'll look at some other films perhaps too. Thank you, Emma Westwood and Ceres Howard, to Carl Chapman behind the desk and to Faith Everard who shall weave this here insane hour of banter into podcast magic.